how can you not be romantic about baseball? Swinging a high drive to left. This baby's way back. It is out of here. I don't believe what I just saw. Coswell slashes one foul. Oh, that hit a bird, and it bounces back into fair territory. Oh, I gotta, I gotta check the rule book on this one, folks. I'm too drunk taste this chicken. Our ass is in the jackpot now. You're listening to Booze and Baseball. There's 50 feet of crap. And then there's us. A baseball first podcast, sort of, featuring Derek Johnson. What you just said is one of the most insanely idiotic things I have ever heard. Everyone in this room is now dumber for having listened to it. And Dusty Baker. I heard that. Dynamite drop-in money. That broadcast school has really paid off. So sit back and enjoy the talk around the diamonds with a cold one in hand. Today's secret ingredient is... I love scotch. I love scotch. Scotch has got scotch. Here it goes down. Down into my belly. You are listening to Booze and Baseball with Derek Johnson. I'm Dusty Baker. Pull up a seat and sit with us at our bar. Let's talk ball. Derek, welcome aboard, man. It's been a while since we've had a chance to do this. Uh, Of course, football season has kind of been hindering us a little bit, but a lot has happened since our last Booze and Baseball podcast. Before we get into any of that, though, the most important part of this podcast, Derek, what are you drinking this evening? Uh, well, I have a fun little drink that uh, my wife Stacy saw something on online about um, how to do, and basically, obviously, there's the classic mimosa, right? Well, as you can see in this cup, if you're watching, there is some orange juice because you want to keep your mimosa cold, but you don't want it to get watered down. These are orange juice ice cubes. Oh, so you whoa. freeze the orange juice, and you can have the right amount, and then you pour your champagne in there. And just gradually, the ice cubes will melt along. You won't have too much orange juice in there. won't be overpowered. It'll keep it cold because it's the orange juice ice cubes. It's the perfect way to do a mimosa. That's actually brilliant. I'm going to have mimosas this week when uh, TCU takes on Texas for college game day. That's the only way to start. I'm actually going to follow you on that. I'm going to try that. So you you don't actually pour any orange juice in. You just strictly run with the ice cubes. Correct. So it's just you take your normal ice cube tray, pour your orange juice, put it in the freezer, and boom, you got orange juice ice cubes. And then you plop them into the cup, pour your champagne. It's perfect amount. Is there a number of ice cubes that I should be using? Like are three too many ice cubes? Is one too little? What 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 is the perfect number? I mean, it depends on how much orange juice you like. Everybody likes a different mix of, you know, their their mimosa. My wife likes a very small sl- splash of orange juice. I like a little more orange juice. I'm more of like a I don't know, 40% orange juice, 30% orange juice, 70%. She's probably like 90% champagne. Um, so it just kind of depends what you want. Like I have a smaller glass here. So two ice cubes is, is perfect for me. If you had a bigger glass, uh, maybe three. But for her, she might only want one or two. All right. You take the tips from Derek right there. And if you have any insight on how much mimosa, if you will, how much orange juice should go in the mimosa, let us know, because I think that's a that's room for debate Uh, on my ends. I already made my drink right here. This is what I call the lemon cranberry gin cocktail. And when I say the lemon cranberry gin cocktail, there are three ingredients, lemon, 
cranberry gin. <laughs> Not very difficult on this front. I actually want to say thank you as well here in San Luis Obispo to Rambling Spirits. They are a brand new uh, spirit location within San Luis Obispo. If you live on the Central Coast or in California, go check them out. Brand new. They make their own gin. I, I did some gin sampling over the past week. It was really interesting, Derek, because they not only have just this regular rustic gin, as they call it, and I'll put it on my screen right here. They also have three different other gins that they had me try. So one was a peppercorn. Another one was a lavender. Um, and then there was another branch as well where they kind of incorporated different spices and whatnot. My, my personal favorite was peppercorn. I, I really like having that kind of tannin flavor that you get in wine too. You get that in gin. Uh, but here, this is a, this is their basic rustic. And um, this is actually the second time I'll try this. It's very smooth. I'm much more of a gin person, I would say, than I was more recently. Uh, but uh, I'm excited to try this one. It, this is a very easy cocktail to make. If you're at home and you have just a couple friends coming by, just a little a couple shots of gin is all you really need uh, to make it well worth it. And D Derek's a gin guy also. So I think you can attest to the value that it's not that difficult to make a good gin drink. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not like crazy about gin, but I'll gladly, you know, every now and then mix in a gin and tonic. We actually were at some friends recently and they let us try all these different types of gins and it was really good. And it got me and my wife kind of into some of these different Hendrix flavors and stuff. So I've actually got a, I think a bottle of Hendrix behind me back here. Some the lunar try. So Ooh. maybe we'll un uncork that for a future episode. I think uh, that's a nice foreshadowing episode as we go into this off season, before we get into the baseball side of things though, Derek, Every week we do a cheers. This week we are going to do a cheers to the other Dusty Baker. Congratulations to him on winning his first World Series as a manager. Cheers to you, Derek. And cheers to Dusty Baker. Yeah, really cool for him. Finally gets the World Series title. He had been to several others and, and unable to come through. Obviously for me, I think back to 2002. You're up 3-2 to two on the Angels. You're up in game six, and then you blow the lead. You blow the game. You lose the series uh, the past couple of years with the Astros making the World Series. He's had a lot of good teams, even that didn't make the World Series, whether it was with the Giants or with the Nationals. So uh, for him to to come through uh, kind of well-deserved and feels like the vindication that he deserves. You know, he's a Hall of Fame player slash manager, I would say, with the combination of the two. I think he's going to be a first ballot um, just really cool to see it. And he's coming back in 2023. We'll get to more of that in just a little bit. But uh, as a guy that's been named after Dusty Baker, I mean, my entire Twitter feed has just blown up throughout the week. And I think that is a testament to what kind of person he is, that so many people are happy for him. And, uh, you know, it's it's just an honor to be named after at this point, I think it's safe to say to be named after a legend. I really do. With that being said, we are going to do our chug and look back stat of the week. And November the 9th, which is actually the day of recording, we're going to dig back, Derek, to 2010. Baltimore Orioles, they reassigned left-handed pitcher Zach Britton. Uh, that's a familiar name right there, to the minor leagues. Now, I want to do a little fast-forward for him. Just one year later, he would make his MLB debut. This was, of course, the offseason prior to that. He would go in his MLB debut season, his rookie season, 11 and 11. He would have a 4-6-1 ERA. He went 154 and a third innings pitch, 28 games started. Now, 
Of course, 2012, he would start 12 games, so that number dropped off. He had a 507 ERA. 2013, he went seven starts, had a 495 ERA. So we started to kind of question his value. That didn't question very long, of course, because in 2014, he became the closer. And what did he do? Well, he went 37 saves in the process of a 165 ERA, a whip under one at .94. He is a free agent, Derek, this offseason. He's 35 years old. He made $14 million last year with the Yankees has been hampered with injuries recently, but it's crazy to see guys like Zach Britton. You can kind of think of like Wade Davis's where they kind of come out of nowhere and all of a sudden play a key role in relief. Well, that was the name that I was, I was going to bring up because that was kind of the era where, I mean, you could make a case that Zach Britton in the mid 2010s and Wade Davis were like the two best, at least for a brief period of time, relief pitchers out there. And both those guys were starters converted to relievers, which, brings into question, like, who's going to be that next run? Because that's always something that happens. They try to, to make guys into starters. Some guys, it just doesn't work out, but their stuff works really well when you have them in a high leverage role or, or in a shorter inning, and, you know, they can raise their velocity and whatnot. Like, I look to a guy like D.L. Hall with Baltimore. Like, they're going to try to, um, you know, make him a starter as much as they can, but if that doesn't work, he could be an absolutely filthy reliever. And, like, there's going to be other guys who are of that ilk as well. I'm curious to see, because we saw a little taste of this throughout the postseason, uh, what happens with Zach Eflin. Eflin is the kind of guy where he's got really good stuff. We knew he had strikeout potential. It, just the question was, how can he master that for five to six innings? Can he get depth and, and length in a game, right? And so I think the Phillies kind of experimented with that a little bit in the postseason. And to be honest, it really worked out well for Eflin. So um, those are kind of the guys that are interesting to monitor. Of course, you see the other side where guys like Adam Wainwright come up as, you know, the World Series closer. And then what happens? He becomes one of the better starters in the league. So you just never know on both ends kind of how it works. But it's very interesting to me kind of seeing how some of these guys can be converted the other way and, and they find success. And I think Zach Britton is a great testament to that. Before we get to our next topic, though, does Zach Britton, Derek, get signed by anybody this offseason at 35 years of age? Uh, I mean, obviously you don't know his, you know, mentality of what he wants to do. Does he want to play? Does he want to wait till the offseason and, and, I don't know, feel like he can pick a contender at that point and pick someone up? I do think, though, that somebody will give him uh, I would imagine it'll be a short-term contract, probably like a one-year deal, maybe like a, a veteran's or I don't know, like a minimum deal, something like that. Maybe a couple million dollars with incentives. I, I don't imagine it'll be much, but somebody will give him a shot. I could see a team like the Mariners giving him a chance. I could see a team like the Dodgers giving him a chance. Just a team that finds ways to recreate relievers. Uh, there, I still believe either that or like there. a bad team who's just like, hey, let's pick him up, and if he turns into something, we can flip him at the deadline. Yeah, no doubt about that. I, that's actually probably even more likely, I would assume. So uh, we'll throw out a team like the Colorado Rockies or Arizona Diamondbacks in that respect as some other interesting targets. Okay, with that though, Derek, before we look on to the next year, uh, we, we have to take a step back, and I do owe something to you, and that is that we did our season-long beer pong, and I know that we haven't had our podcast in a little bit, but you happened to hit the walk-off, as we like to call it. I ended up with two cups. You ended up with none. It figured out that you picked Atlanta to beat the Phillies, of course. This is all before the postseason happens, where Philadelphia yeah. then flips the whole script on them. But Atlanta at the time, they swept Philadelphia. The Mariners, they took three of four from the Angels. Those were your final two picks. So with that in mind, Derek, this is for you, pal. Congratulations on winning season-long beer pong. Here's <laughs> one. Ugh. Ugh. You're just Ugh. taking as many drinks as you lost by in cups? 
Yeah, that's what I have to well, do. Well, see, I, I was going to, but I mean, you already started drinking here, so there's no going back at this point. I can't take the drinks away from you. <laughs> I was going to say, I will give you like, because you never got a chance at redemption. I was going to be like, you know, I'll give you two free agent, basically shots. Like you have to call where they're going to sign. Now that's harder than even picking a win. So that's so hard. It's tough for redemption. Uh, if you hit just one of them though, I was going to let you stay alive, but too late now. You already drank it. <laughs> yeah. I'm also in pain now. So I'm glad to find out that role later. Uh, we will do an off season beer pong with what Derek just referenced yeah. right there. And uh, that will begin next week. And uh, you know, we've obviously had a couple of free agents drop uh, specifically Edwin Diaz, but we'll get to a little bit more of that in the following podcast. We will stick with the 2022 season, though, because there's a lot, Derek, that went down. And I want to start off, first of all, with the wild card round. This is the first time ever that we saw a best of three for the wild card round. You had the Padres Mets, the Phillies Cardinals, the Rays Guardians, and the Mariners Blue Jays. From this, did you actually, Derek, like the wild card round in the way that it shaped up compared to, of course, the previous, which was just a wild card game? Yeah, I mean, I, I liked that it was a full series like the regular season I didn't like that it felt too short and I get it you can't if you expand it to five or seven games then you expand the division round to seven games then postseason is going to take forever um personally I think that at this point like I'd almost shorten the regular season to like 140 games and make the wild card round five make the divisional round seven and then you do seven from from kind of there on out but um, overall, I, I actually was pretty entertained by it. Um, I kind of got all in. Like, I didn't think the Guardians were going to win their their first series. But then when they did, I was like, you know what? This is the perfect postseason team. They make a lot of contact. They field the ball well. Like, they've got a great bullpen. And I got all in on, like, okay, Guardians going to the World Series. And then they got up 2-1 on the Yankees and couldn't finish it off. But, uh, yeah, I think overall, uh, entertaining wild card series, it's just, that's such a crapshoot. But I guess uh, the counter to that is, you know, maybe that is something that does favor the teams with better records that you don't have to be in a just a three-game crapshoot. Yeah, I totally agree. I, I think that at the end of the day, it was really interesting because when you look at these wildcard rounds, uh, you know, there's four teams that have full home field advantage, right? And from those teams, the Mets, they lose. The Cardinals, they lose. The Blue Jays, they lose. There's three teams that had entire home field advantage throughout these best of three games and, and they lost. So I actually kind of was disproved from my own prior belief, which was that I wasn't a huge fan of it because it wasn't a home away home. Um, clearly it proves that, you know, just the better team wins. And I, I was very intrigued by that. I think that was my biggest takeaway is that it doesn't matter who the home team is. I think that, you know, at the end of the day, it's momentum. It's the hottest team. You saw the Phillies, they ran off that ninth inning against the Cardinals and ultimately they ran away with the series. And, and honestly, a couple games that they probably shouldn't have won, uh, but then you saw the wild ride Philadelphia went on and it's because of this wild card series, they would not have been in the playoffs last year. Right. So that to me, there's value to be said about that. There's something that's incredible about giving a team an opportunity. You know, I, I, you know, me, Derek, I'm a very, I, I focus on college football for giving a lot of teams an opportunity. I believe that the committee is really an issue with college football. I believe the same with baseball. I, I felt like there are so many really good teams that were being left out because of certain circumstances. And Philadelphia was stuck in a division with two 100 plus win teams. They go on and catch heat at the right time. They find themselves in the world series. So I, I really like the wild card round. Uh, personally, I, I think it's a huge improvement. 
Uh, it makes winning the World Series more difficult, and it just adds value to those that are able to make it through. With that being said, to the NLDS, we had the Padres, Dodgers, Phillies, Braves, Guardians, Yankees, as you talked about the Guardians run right there, and then the Mariners, Astros. What surprised you the most from these four particular series? I mean, honestly, looking back, like, who knows? I mean, you can't just say, oh, well, the Mariners almost beat the Astros and they would have won the World Series because you don't know how they would have matched up against the Yankees and then the World Series against the Phillies. But the Mariners probably should have won that series, right? They get up big in the first game. Then they're up again going into the end of it in the game in the second game. And then the third game is just the marathon game that went, what, like 18 innings that you very easily could have won as well. So, like, the Mariners very easily could have won at least two of those. And then they're maybe up two to one. And who knows what happens from there. Or they maybe could have won all three. And then who knows what happens with the Astros from there. Uh, Guardians, that was kind of a weird situation. They get up 2-1. Then they lose game four, and then you have the rain delay, and it kind of helps out the Yankees with their pitching staff. Like I said, I kind of got in on the Guardians. I was shocked by the Padres beating the Dodgers because that's not just like – it's not just that the Dodgers were this amazing team. It's that the Padres had, over the last couple of years, like the Dodgers were their daddy. They were just like beating them up. Even like this every year. Time they, they were their daddy yeah. this year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just crazy. So like – that one shocked me that it happened. The Phillies beating the Braves didn't shock me. I, I do think there is a little bit to be had of, you know, for the teams that are on the bye who don't play in the, the wild card round, they have to do a lot of steps to make sure they stay hot and, and make sure they don't get out of rhythm. Now, if you, it's weird because it's like, okay, well, I'd rather not play in the wild card because I don't want to be in a three game series crapshoot where I have a 50 50 chance of winning or losing. I'd rather take the 100% chance that I'm in the next round. But also, once we're in the next round, I got to really figure out a way to get up. And obviously, that didn't impact like the Astros and the Yankees both advanced through. The Astros won the World Series and whatnot. But um, if you think about it, I, I do think sometimes we get a little too caught up in baseball. And and I, I'm a proponent of this too that like sometimes it is just crapshoot in the playoffs. But I think sometimes we get too caught up in that that it is too much of a, a crapshoot. And I think what the Phillies showed me this year is that sometimes there is just a different roster construction that works in the postseason than the regular season. Like in the regular season, how many years did we see the Oakland A's win 90, 95 games, but then once we get to the postseason, they flame out? They're done. Is that just yeah. terrible luck for them, or is it because it has happened so many times, maybe we should look at this and go, okay, maybe star players, you know, big-time home run hitters, big-time starting pitchers, like maybe there's certain things that do win in the postseason the most when – uh, you know, whether you want to talk about like the clutch idea or if it's just something about the game style where, you know, all hands are on deck every game. Pitchers aren't going as long or uh, you're going to go to relievers earlier. Like there are different ways that games go in the postseason than the regular season that do make it a little bit different. So it's not just the same as saying, oh, well, an 87 win Phillies team against a 100 win Braves team. Like in the postseason, maybe the value of what you do because it is more about the top end guys, maybe like that matters for the Phillies. So uh, certainly interesting there, but yeah, Padres over the Dodgers was the biggest shock. A lot of good takeaways there. I think my key takeaway is you can win in the postseason with the trade deadline. I, I, I personally believe the moves that the Padres and the Phillies made at the deadline, those pushed them over the top in their uh, series here in the division series, because the Phillies had nothing, right? Like they, they had the turnover with Girardi, uh, but they bring in guys like Syndergaard where they can at least play a role, right? And they had the opportunity to be able to kind of mix and match some pieces here. The rise of Bryson Stott really helped out as well. So young pieces coming up late in the year. It doesn't matter 
where you are in June, it matters where you are getting into the postseason. Like getting into the postseason is the goal, right? And I think teams like the Dodgers and Braves, they had such a massive lead that they forgot what it was like to battle adversity. And so the Padres and the Phillies took full advantage of that. And as you mentioned right there, Manny Machado, Juan Soto, Bryce Harper, Reese Hoskins, and JT Realmuto. What do they have in common? They're superstars that have the chance to turn a game around with one swing of the bat. And they both, I mean, all, all those players did that throughout their series, right? And they they pushed them to that NLCS. Um, I also think the whole concept of the buy is ridiculous that, oh, the buy really hinders their capabilities of going out there and producing. Because even though the Astros offense wasn't particularly impressive against the Mariners, they still shut them down pitching wise. Nobody was fatigued in that. There is an advantage to having a buy. And the Yankees were able to battle through. I I think that's just excuses from Dodgers fans and Braves fans personally. Um, The fact that you go two and two overall in this first format tells me that that's just two teams found heat they found their bats at the right time and i completely agree with you i think the dodgers you know it's sad because as a dodgers fan obviously i expected a lot out of them and for them to win one game after winning 111 games in the regular season it's just not a good example of what they were able to accomplish this year but it also shows that they got too comfortable going into october and you know the dodgers there is an arrogance there i I have to say even as a Dodgers fan, there is an arrogance that because they were the Padres daddy, because they owned them 14 out of 19 games in the regular season, that this was going to be a cakewalk. And the reality is this was a Padres team with Juan Soto. Okay. So you can't go in there expecting to dominate a team with a generational talent. I'm sorry. You, you just can't do that. Uh, the Dodgers really were the biggest disappointment this postseason. You can't win a franchise record and then go out there the way they did. That that was just absolutely atrocious. Well, if okay, I can just add to... one more quick thing, sorry. Yeah. Um, I I think that it's it's further. Like I'm a big believer. I know you are too. Pitching wins in the postseason. hundred percent. As great as the Dodgers pitching was in the regular season, a lot of it was this guy's just having a phenomenal year. But once it gets down to you know push comes to shove in the postseason, like who are you taking? Are you going to take? Aaron Nola, or are you going to take right. Tyler Anderson, right? Right. Who made the moves, too, by the way? What what Dodgers moves really impacted this postseason? Joey Gallo didn't play a single inning, didn't have a single at bat. So I think the Dodgers really need to sit back. They need to reevaluate their approach at the, the trade deadline. I just personally don't believe that if you sit on your hands at the deadline, you're helping your team out. Like, if you sit there and you say, oh, our team's good enough, that, that's, that's not good enough. Go and win. Go and make the moves. And the Phillies, the Padres especially, they did that. And so props to them. I, I, I cheers to them because they deserve it. Moving on to the NLCS and ALCS, uh, Yankees, Astros, Phillies, Padres. Was this how you saw it as far as when you started watching the postseason? Because we obviously know going into the postseason, this wasn't how it was. But after watching a few games in the postseason, did this seem more likely? Yeah, after the Phillies took care quickly of the Cardinals, because I know both of us were, were high on the Cardinals in that because they had that kind of recipe of great defense. They've got a lot of really good hitters. Um, they didn't have the great starting pitchers, which, again, maybe that goes back with the Dodgers thing, right? But they had enough interesting pitchers that I thought they'd get it done. And once they dismantled them so quickly, I was like, oh, they got something here. Because you knew they had Aaron Nola and Zach Wheeler. That's an unbelievable one, too. And a lot of times we have seen like the biggest home run hitting teams win in the postseason as long as they're not striking out as much. So, uh, like I said, I wasn't shocked that they made it there after they got through the Cardinals. 
with the Padres was obviously shocked with uh, the Dodgers series. And then um, I was a little bit surprised. It, it seemed like the Phillies kind of easily got through them. I also thought the Yankees, like this was going to be the year that they finally disposed of the Astros, but man, I, the Astros pitching. And, and I don't just mean this from like the top of it. Cause obviously Justin Verlander, great, except for when he gets in a world series game, oddly enough, except for the most recent world series game where he was great. Um, but it's just the depth of pitching they had. Like maybe that's the biggest way to put it. Either have like two or three studs at the top, like the Phillies, or have a, a depth of guys. Like think back to a couple years ago when the Dodgers won the World Series. Obviously, they had some guys at the top when you have like Clayton Kershaw and whatnot and, and Walker Bueller, but it was the depth of pitching. They had the ability to throw Dustin May or Julio Urias like out of the bullpen if they needed to. That was the Astros this year. You had Christian Javier. It's like, well, we don't know if he'll be part of the rotation here. He'll just start this game and he'll throw a no-hitter. Or, you know, I mean, the, the pitching depth that they have is it, it was stupid. It was, it was stupid how good it was. So uh, Astros Yankees obviously wasn't a surprise. Padres Phillies was at the start of the postseason, but maybe after you saw a couple games going, not a total shock. I think when you look at it, uh, the Astros clearly were the best team in the AL. Uh, the Yankees were kind of struggling going into the postseason. And while they managed to escape the Guardians, I think they were very much obviously exposed in that sweep against Houston. Um, with the Phillies, I thought it was a little more interesting because the bats really showed up against the Padres team that their bullpen dominated the Dodgers. Uh, the starting pitching looked pretty decent too, for the most part against LA, but Philadelphia's bats, man, they, they showed why you can escape with a good one, two punch with Zach Wheeler and Aaron Nola, because there's not a lot of depth there. I also have to give a lot of credit to Ranger Suarez who just overall throughout the postseason was really a different player than what he was during the regular season. And I think that shows that young talent, because he's 27 years old, young talent can produce on that level when you know that there's the talent that's present there, even if it's not necessarily 100% producing according to your plan going into the postseason. And Ranger Suarez showed up. He had a low heartbeat. You know, he was there present throughout every single game. I mean, you knew he could come out of the bullpen. You knew he could start. And that's not a role that I don't think any of us saw coming going into the postseason. So props to Ranger Suarez got the final out of that NLCS against San Diego. And San Diego was ultimately a completely different team in that series versus what we saw against L.A. So maybe that was part of it. Finally, to the World Series, Derek. And of course, this is the big one. You have the Astros Phillies. And while the Phillies had that 2-1 series lead, uh, the Astros really took command there in a hostile environment. Uh, against a really good Philadelphia team and uh, comes away with the World Series championship after a game six win that ultimately was capped by Jordan Alvarez three run home run that as Joe Davis put turned the game upside down. I was waiting for Jordan to go off all World Series. I kept betting on him home run bets. And then the last game, like I bet on him like legit, I think for the five games, maybe all five. And then on the sixth game, I was like, you know what? I'm going to go Jose Altuve this game to hit home run. And, of course, Jordan Alvarez hits it. Um, but, you know, shout out Rob Thompson, by the way, KU alum, managing the, the Phillies and, and taking over for Joe Girardi. But, uh, yeah, they just kind of ran out of steam, it seemed like. And, and, like I said, you have the depth of the Astros pitching. There's a lot of good hitters in that lineup. Um, this feels like kind of a capping to them for what has been a really amazing run. I know there's the whole scandal and the cheating stuff, but uh, to make the World Series all these years and, and continually every year make the ALCS and, and now to get a second championship feels like it kind of validates this long sustained period for them. You know, I'm. Uh, it's been tough because obviously as a Dodgers fan, 
you know, there's always that resentment towards Houston, but you have to realize Justin Verlander, Lance McCullers Jr., Jose Altuve, um, Yuli Gurriel, and Alex Bregman. Those are the five that were part of that 2017 roster. Everybody else is different. And I personally think this is a better Astros team than what we saw in 2017. I, I don't think that there's an equivalent. You know, some Astros fans are going to say, see, this proves why, why we won it legally. You know, like we did it legit in 2017. I don't believe that. But I think this 2022 squad, yeah, 100%, they deserve it. You know, this was a really good squad. The pitching was phenomenal. This is a way better rotation than what we saw in 2017. You can make the argument there was more surefire, like fire, firepower, if you will, in the lineup this time around. Jeremy Pena was unconscious this postseason. Um, from a fantasy perspective, I'm curious to see where he goes because of what he did this off this this postseason you know he really I think boosted his stock uh but good for Dusty Baker really happy for him um and for Astros fans you know what maybe this is a chance to you know turn the page from that history I personally don't believe that that history should be eliminated but I will say you know the 2022 team barring any crazy circumstances you know they deserved every ounce of this and they were the best team in baseball based off what we saw this time around so good for Houston uh, and especially, you know, congratulations to the man himself, Dusty Baker. And with that being said, Derek, you know, we, we haven't had a chance to do this in a while. Uh, booze and baseball, it's back. It's going to look a little different, I would say, moving forward. Um, you know, we've had a hard time, I would say, having a chance to really get a consistent following over time. And so one part of that problem is we don't have people subscribing to us. You know, we have listeners every now and then. And we have some loyal ones. And we really appreciate you for those that are listening. If you are listening, we encourage you to not only listen, but subscribe to our podcast. And also send it to your friends. Send it to people that love the game of baseball. Because Derek and I love the game of baseball as much as you listening. And we really want to be able to give you good content. Um, you know, I'm basically 90% of the way through my drink. And I can tell you right now. There's nothing more fun and enjoyable than talking about baseball with a drink in hand. Am I right, Derek? Absolutely. I've finished up, although I've got a couple uh, orange juice ice cubes. See, uh, that's the that's a good thing, though, right? Because are those now – does that ice cube now take in the vodka? So you have mimosa. So does it take in the champagne at this point? I don't know. That's a good question. I don't really want to – chew on them to be honest i'll probably just pour more champagne in it i'm gonna make you you do it right now i want you to chew on one right now (laughs) hopefully you don't have a tooth that's sensitive all right he's doing it right now he kind of looks like he's in pain uh no no it's just kind of like a i don't know like an orange orange uh was it not the push pops like otter pop oh okay that's actually pretty good does it taste like a mimosa to you like when you eat that no don't really have (laughs) champagne (laughs) taste on it but it still tastes good orange all right so the key is this Eat the ice cube and hope that it at least gives you a little more of a buzz. But either way, great drink that you picked this week, Derek. We're going to be back in two weeks. A little different than what we've normally done. Um, Just trying to get some consistency going here. But do us a favor. We would love, if you love this podcast, for you to subscribe. Share it with your friends. Let them know that we are here to bring you good content for baseball, for drinking, and having a good time talking the best game on the planet. Derek and I love it, and uh, we would love to stay with you here because this is something we are truly passionate about. Derek, any final thoughts before we go? Uh, No, on to the offseason. Let's get Aaron Judge to San Francisco. Yeah, I knew that that's something that you would love to say. I think that you're right. I honestly will we'll talk more about that in our next show. Our off-season picks, that's coming up. Stay tuned for it. Get ready for it. We'll have another round of drinking the beer pong game that is free agent frenzy. But until then, 
On behalf of Derek Johnson, I'm Dusty Baker. Thanks for pulling up a bar stool and hanging with us. Let's grab a drink again in two weeks. Talk to you then. Cheers.